Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Literacy View. We have a really special episode tonight. We have not one, but two researchers with us from Texas State University. We have Dr. Allison Collins and Dr. Stephen Chulo. Yay. And we are going to be talking about a subject that has been ignored for years, and it is writing. We started off our last episode with Leah Mermelstein, and we were talking about how it's important to combine reading and writing and how they really go together like peanut butter and jelly. And tonight we're actually going to get behind, um, you know, reading and writing and how it's taught and what the research is telling us. And we're going to get into teacher beliefs. So we have two articles. And one is special and general education teachers' beliefs about writing and writing instruction. And then the other article is writing expository essays from social studies texts, a self-regulated strategy development study better known as SRSD to some of you. So we're actually going to start with the first article, the one on teachers' beliefs. And this has a strong impact on how they teach, how they feel about writing, how they feel about themselves as writing instructors. So I'd like to hear from Allison and Steve about um, how they came up with this topic, because I find it fascinating. And, um, you know, what you found. I read the article, Judy read the article, but we want to hear from you. So who starts off, Allison or Steve? Doesn't matter to us. I think they're okay. both muted. Okay. 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 Thank so you, Allison. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm I'm glad we're starting with this article. So just to give a little context for this article, this was part of a four-year study. And this study includes teacher surveys, um, as well as classroom observations of about 200 teachers over the scope of four years. So some exciting results we hope will be out on that in the spring. But what we did in this particular article is we zoomed in um, because we kind of assumed that we we know what teachers need. A lot of people in higher ed kind of, you know, make these suggestions. But we said, you know, how do we really know what their needs are until we observe and we talk to them and start doing some surveys? So we really wanted to systematically survey teachers. And what we did is we looked at dyads. So we, we took a special ed teacher and a general education teacher both assigned to teaching the same writing instruction to students in grade four. And we really just wanted to learn about their needs and what their preparation was for teaching writing. Um, Allison and I like to both say how like coming through when we were in undergrad and even master's, I never had a formal class on how to become a good writing teacher. It was always kind of stuck in with the reading class. Like maybe there was a week or two of strategies that got thrown in there, but it was not solely dedicated towards writing. And, and we're both really committed to to changing that. So um, yeah, so so that's what we did. And we really just wanted to know about a few things. The first thing we were really interested with this survey study, and again, this is you know just one step and, and hopefully we'll be back on here in the spring and we'll have a lot more to share, 
but um, we wanted to know about their preparation and how they felt about their preparation. We also really wanted to know about their self-efficacy and basically how do teachers perceive, perceive themselves as being able to provide quality writing instruction to students with IEPs. Um, and again, some of that stems from our own experience because I know that I received really quality trainings in reading instruction. Fortunately, I had classes in reading, but for writing, it's almost like we didn't have a curriculum. We didn't have a program or, or tools to grab. So we want to know about this because eventually we want to create new interventions and we want to do good professional development like Allison's going to talk about later with the SRSD study. But in order to do that, we felt like we needed to, to get in there and watch teachers and talk to them. So, so yeah, a, a few, two of the main things we found is that um, neither groups of teachers, the special ed teachers or the general education teachers felt really prepared to teach writing instruction mm -hmm. to students with IEPs. Um, you know, you can, you can look at that in different ways. In some ways, maybe it's not surprising because a lot of these teachers came through programs like us where they didn't have formal classes and how to do it. And maybe the professional development they've received in schools were on math or reading instead of writing. And, and it sounds like that's one of the reasons why you wanted to, to talk about this topic tonight. Um, but the other thing we found out from both of them is, is that they both had had this desire, both groups of teachers, special ed, gen ed, to, to learn more about how to teach writing. And they felt that writing is like malleable, that, that we can really, you know, through the power of good instruction, we can change students' writing outcomes. And we thought that was really encouraging because it's not like these teachers were, you know, um, upset or hardened and, and felt like these student difficulties that they faced in writing couldn't be altered. They really felt that they could. There's just really this um, expressed need for more professional development. And that kind of, you know, it, you know, not to get too deep into the research, but there's been studies over the years, the last 10, 15 years, some really good survey studies by Steve Graham and his colleagues. And they've all really consistently shown that a lot of times teacher perceive, teachers perceive themselves as less qualified to teach writing than all other subjects. So, and, and just given how important writing is for writing in school, but writing in life, you know, emailing friends, socialization, um, you know, we just feel like we we really needed to learn more about this and, and try to get some information where we can try to move forward and bridge some of this, bridge this gap. So, Allison, as I'm listening to Steve, I'm wondering why there's a difference between special ed teachers and gen ed teachers. What did you find or what what are your thoughts about that? That's a good question. Um, I think I think a lot about how we can help bridge these gaps because so often these two groups of teachers are in silos. Um, I think in in our current in some one of our more current projects, like that we just started last year, we're actually training these two groups together so that they are in the same room, they're receiving the same professional development, they're receiving the same training, the same message, the same instruction. And I think sometimes that's often what happens is, I always joke, but, you know, right before we're headed back to school, you know, we have a week of training or however many days for teachers, and it's always special ed, you're going here, gen ed, we need you to to go somewhere else and they're not together and they don't have a lot of planning time and they don't have a lot of opportunities for that conversation. And then the year starts and it's busy. And so I, I think that that's part of it sometimes is that we're not all trying 
to work together, to train together, to have the same kinds of instruction. It's, it's a, we separate them into silos. And I think that that sometimes that might be part of it. So Judy, you're in the schools. Um, Do you have training gen ed and special ed together? Is that happening um, from what you see in your own school or in New York City, generally, are special ed teachers brought together with gen ed teachers for professional development? So I think that a lot of it depends on where you go and what school you're in. And I think it varies. Um, you know, it's funny. I don't usually talk that much about my particular building where I am now, but I want to speak about it a little bit today because it's a very special place that I'm working in right now. And they have a very high special ed population in the school. They actually have a program that's called Horizon, and it's working with high functioning um, children on the spectrum. And I actually ironically visited them for writing instruction today because I wanted to see what was going on. The teacher reached out to me and she said, you know, Judy, I'm really struggling with getting these kids to write. And I think that sometimes special ed teachers, even though they're included in professional development together, some of their neurodivergent students do have needs that may look a little bit different. Or actually, you know what, all kids have these needs. But I think that sometimes you know, there are a lot of things going on in those classrooms. And I think my building is really trying to give attention to every learner so much and bringing us all together as learners. And, you know, I walk into those classrooms, whether it be general ed or special ed with the highest of expectations for those kids, but also realizing that, you know, kids are unique sometimes and they do have needs But it was interesting to see in one classroom how many different needs there could be in one classroom. I mean, it was eye-opening. I mean, some kids couldn't hold a pencil and had a pencil grip, while another kid was writing a personal narrative and it was just going fine. I mean, it wasn't the fanciest personal narrative, but it was a starting point. And then another kid couldn't write, you know, a letter or a formal letter. And it was like, you know, I could see that the teacher was struggling. There's a para over here, another para over here. There's Coach Judy over here, another coach over there. And it's like, what if I wasn't there? The other coach wasn't there. It's very hard as a special yeah. ed teacher. I mean, yeah. it's hard for any teacher. But but the one thing that I do want to say is that sometimes, you know, I'm learning more about, you know, kids with IEPs and kids in the special ed population Ironically, sometimes they very often surpass um the genet other classes. Yeah. My 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 um special ed classes right now, some of them on the foundation's trackers uh in phonics scored 80 or above mastery in in phonics, and there was no reteaching necessary. But now how do we get that to transfer into the writing mm-hmm. might be yeah. a little bit more complex. So, you know what, Judy said, uh, um, you know, and she made an interesting comment about all the um, divergent needs in one room. And that is challenging. So from your study, you could see why perhaps, at least I'm thinking, 
why a teacher in that population, in that type of room, would feel perhaps they were inadequately trained, prepared for you know this environment, and then add in that they might have their own struggles in writing. Um, and I'm not just saying special ed teachers, all teachers. That goes for all teachers. That across the board, um, you will see that sometimes teachers lack confidence in their own writing. And it was not really stressed at the university. And now they have to teach a subject that they don't feel confident about. Your thoughts, either one of you, I'd love to hear about that. Me first? Okay. <laughs> well, a couple a couple of things you, you said I could definitely relate to, especially as a former special education teacher. I, I'm, I started when you were talking about, both of you were talking about how you have needs that span from maybe essay organization all the way to letter formation and writing writing a complete sentence. I think about often um, how traditionally fourth grade has been the grade that's tested in writing. In Texas now, it starts in third where they have integrated reading and writing. But you know th those are the teachers that we've been looking at, that, that group, third, fourth, and fifth for our, most of our studies. And when we talk to them, you know, those are the needs that they're expressing is that, you know, how can you effectively differentiate in a classroom when you have some students that are just at the word level or maybe struggling to put um, subject and predicate through a complete sentence when you have other students, you know, who are at a higher level. And then in the back of their minds, they know that there's that state test that's looming and mm -hmm. they have that that writing assessment, too. So, yeah, I, I can I can relate to that completely. Um and I think that the confidence is one of the reasons that that we like to use strategies like SRSD because, you know, I even think about me and the teachers that we work with, like, it's empowering to have a strategy to rely on. And, and you know, I'm not sure how much you've gotten a chance to talk about self-regulated strategy development in, in the past on the show, but I know probably some listeners are familiar with it. But that's an example of something that that is empowering because students do, you know, they become equipped with the tools to write about meaningful content, to writing about experiences really ac across genre areas. So I think that, you know, that confidence piece that you talked about is something that I probably struggled with as a teacher when it came to teaching writing. I felt much more confident to teach reading and math because of my preparation. And I think, you know, having quality interventions, quality strategies, and then really good professional development and coaching like we do, you know, through our SRSD work, is is really you know fundamental to helping these teachers feel more empowered. So anyone listening, um, if you want to learn more about that, we had Leslie Laud on a while ago, and um, yeah, I have her book right near me. Yeah, and so she's wonderful, and we did talk about um, you know the importance of self regulation and writing, mm -hmm. and we are going to have Karen Harris on. Uh, soon. So um, we are really looking into some of the best writing research and strategies out there, at least we're trying to, and to um, bring um, attention to something that we feel needs to be looked at. So Allison, um, as I was listening to Steve, I thought of just growth mindset. And so I don't know if you looked into this at all, but 
to me, it sounds as though that perhaps, you know, if the teachers feel insecure about teaching writing, are they maybe closed down? Maybe they have thoughts that these kids can't do it so that they feel they can't do it. I, I almost feel it could be contagious, this feeling of that, you know what, they can't, I can't, and then they avoid a subject because they really are afraid of just putting themselves out there. Um, and I, I keep thinking about the idea of growth mindset. Have you come across that in your studies where maybe that um, teachers have a fixed mindset about their students or themselves, and perhaps that that will impact what they do in the classroom. So, Steve, I'll let you chime in, too. Uh, we do have another study that we have been looking at, the beliefs around malleability, about how teachers believe they can change students' writing and how confident they feel around those beliefs. In the article we were talking about earlier, I do know that we looked at how teachers felt about how they can develop writers through maybe effort versus just knowledge and, and who who provides that knowledge to them. And a lot of the gen ed teachers tend to lean towards they feel like they can change those efforts uh, or they can change students' progress through their effort, the effort they put forth. And special education teachers, for whatever reason, felt less confident in being able to do that. I do think some of this sometimes still goes back to, and thinking about malleability, because we're also looking at it in, in the new study that I mentioned that we're just in progress in, we are measuring malleability before and after professional development to see if even can we change that uh, mm -hmm. mindset through our professional development. And sometimes I do wonder, I don't know yet, this is more speculation, but I do wonder, is it sometimes also having access to tools? And I was thinking about, as y'all were talking earlier, so much of I feel like what we've learned over the last few years with training teachers and leading professional development is sometimes I feel like it, the same way our students need explicit instruction and strategies and tools, our teachers yes. need the same thing. Mm -hmm. So when y'all were talking about the, the wide range of of students in a classroom and the need to differentiate, meet all those needs. I feel like so often the teachers, what's overwhelming is they don't know how to do that sometimes. What does that look like? And I think one of the things we've been trying to do in one of our new studies is really give them the tools of how would you explicitly differentiate and what does this look like? Rather just assuming that we're going to give them a lesson plan and they're just going to know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. We're trying to give them some more toolboxes that say, okay, you know, here's some reflection questions and here's some ways that you can, you know, self-assess how it's going, assess your formatively assess your students and think strategically about where to go next. And so I hope that in that same realm, we can support also that that mindset, that growth mindset too, that that we do have the powers as educators to make a difference in students um, and, and boosting that that confidence there. 
So as I'm listening to both Steve and Allison, Judy, I keep thinking about how we take kids out of gen ed sometimes. Mm-hmm. And these are the kids who struggle the most. And then we're putting them into special ed classes with teachers who actually lack confidence in writing, where they might not even get the same type of instruction that they would have received in the gen ed classroom. And so, you know, the special ed teacher is supposed to be the specialist in dealing with kids with learning issues. And here I'm hearing that, you know what, we we could be pulling kids out and we don't even know if they're getting what they need in a self-contained room or, um, you know, an ICT class. So I'm wondering, Judy, just in terms from your own experience, um, how have you felt maybe about writing um, just, you know, your own type of writing instruction and your confidence level and, you know, just maybe you could talk about that just as somebody who's in a building. How do you feel about that? So I think it's hard to like, just in general box people into a certain category. I think that, you know, the special ed teachers that I've come across with lately, some of them have just had such enthusiasm and such an open mind and so much confidence in their kids and their their kids' abilities that they just surprise me. I think sometimes, you know, for newer teachers, it's hard, but that's for special education teachers or just a new teacher in general. But I'm definitely seeing that it just kind of depends on the building culture. Like if the building culture is a learning environment where, you know, you have people coming into your room all the time, but it's just a safe space to grow and learn, that's going to make a tremendous difference. And I think that, you know, if I have to be honest, writing instruction in general or writing, not writing instruction, also the samples that I'm seeing lately citywide, they've been pretty weak for a while. And I'm like trying to analyze why is it that writing samples looked way better when I was teaching back in, you know, the classroom about 10 years ago or whatever, they looked way better. And I'm like, did something change? What's going on? And I think that, you know, there's so many things that it could be like, for instance, now schools are shifting into research-based or evidence-based curriculums. And I think, you know, New York City schools adopted HMH into reading and, you know, the reading instruction, nothing's perfect, right? Nothing's perfect. We've talked about that on previous episodes that it's just a tool, but, you know, the reading instruction seems to have gotten a lot of attention. And I see that the writing piece may have not, you know, been fully fleshed out yet. And I think in the articles that both of you wrote, um, there was a lot of discussion about how it's easier to connect the reading and writing and also if you could incorporate like social studies content in there. And sometimes it just feels like in these buildings, it just doesn't feel as connected. And it's very hard sometimes when reading and writing is not connected. So that's something that I know if I was still in the classroom, I would definitely struggle with. But the other thing that's really hard is like, so I took a training, the writing revolution. Now I'm reading about Leslie Lord's program and I'm slowly uh, pushing through, you know, she said she was nice enough to send me, you know, 
an online learning course. And those things are all great. And I know that these are like different methods, but how do you incorporate all these great methods and best practices into a program that your principal or your district or school may have chosen? It's not as easy as it sounds. It takes so much thinking. And there's just, I feel like there's just too much thinking that's required of special ed teachers and general ed teachers at the moment that you even I struggle. So you, I love what you just said, Judy. I just absolutely really? love it. I really, really, honey, I really do. So, you know, I was nervous about this episode because l- let me tell you, there's a lot of research and numbers and that's not really my thing. But when it comes to like talking about what's going on in the classroom, it's natural for Faith and I. Faith and I. You know, that's what makes our podcast unique. We're working with kids all the time. We're sitting there. We're working with teachers. That's that's our life. So that comes natural. The research part scared me a little bit. But I I do have to say, though, I'm really, you know, happy to sit with researchers. But how do we get these researchers and all the good things that they're saying to come into the buildings? You know, like I don't want it just to sit in an article that somebody read or somebody tweeted this article, we're all saying it's great. And then it doesn't transfer into, you know, my life. Right. Or faith life. So that is a great segue into article number two. Okay. Because yeah. um, we, we have teacher beliefs and now your second article actually gives a framework for writing. That's what, um, you know, the whole idea of, um, you know, self-regulation is that there is a model, there's a framework, and that's um, the acronym TIED, that we go with the topic, and then we put down the important ideas, and then the details, and then there's an ending, T-I-D-E, right? And so there's this framework for teachers and for students to learn And this gives them the confidence to be able to put together, you know, essays and paragraphs and be able to then improve their reading as well by understanding and finding the topic and the big ideas and the details that they work together simultaneously. I hope I'm saying that right. Yes. Yes. Okay. I, nobody You're hears. doing a great job. Thank oh, okay. Yes. I just want to be clear that I'm saying it the right way. So now Judy brought up something very important. There, a lot of schools have the writing revolution, and then you have research on this, and schools are going to try to figure this out or be left to figure this out, along with core programs or schools that don't have core programs. So I guess in practical terms, how do you do all this? How do all the pieces fit? Is there research about one and not research about another? Are we um, confusing what the science really is, the science of reading? Because it sounds like there's a lot out there and we're just regular people here, yeah. you know, working with kids. So. Um, you know, Steve, why don't you kick that one off? So let's start talking about article number two. And that is um, writing expository essays from social studies texts, a self-regulated strategy development study. Do you want to just kick that off and then Allison will jump in with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you you mentioned that too. I mean, one of the things, one of the unique features about, about that article, which, which linked to the current project we have now, which is funded by the Institute of Education Sciences. It's a, it's a pandemic relief project aimed at uh, closing learning gaps, but a lot of teachers seem to be apprehensive about how to purposefully integrate reading and writing. Cause I think sometimes these things were thought of as separate, you know, we, we do our practice, you know, writing time here, and then we have reading and, and you're right. They, they do go hand in hand and there's such great opportunities to, you know, to extend one's knowledge and to write about meaningful content. Um, so, so that's part of why we did it. Um, this, the article that, that you're referring to with the tide strategy, we did that in third grade. So it was third grade inclusive classrooms and we had really good outcomes. The teachers that we worked with in that, in that, um, study really, you know, expressed us that they didn't have prior experience doing this. So, um, and when I say doing this, I mean, you know, kind of integrating reading and writing together. So, so we liked the results that we saw from that and, and it gave them the opportunity to write about, you know, meaningful social studies text and use strategies to do so. But moving to this current project that we have, Turning the Tide, which is, which is the bigger practice-based professional development one, you know, you kind of asked about how do you know what to pick? Well, one of the reasons we picked SRSD is because it does have such a, you know, a deep evidence base. Um, and, you know, what we're, it, it, it's, you know, Allison and I didn't invent SRSD. We're, we're fortunate enough to be, you know, uh, working, working involved in the project, but, you know, a lot of, and I know you, you both feel this way too. It's really just important for, um, especially as schools start to adopt these programs, just like we're seeing with reading that they are just being critical consumers and that they are adopting things that do have a strong evidence base. And, um, you know, the, the nice thing about SRSD is it, it has shown effectiveness across different writing genres, um, you know, narrative, persuasive, opinion writing, expository, which is important too. I, I think sometimes um, it's easy to think that, you know, good writing is good writing, but a lot of the research does show that um, good writing in one genre doesn't necessarily translate to good writing in another genre. You know, oh, we have to write scientific articles, but I would not be the best person for you to come to and ask you, you know, to write a poem or a story. So um, the nice thing about SRSD is it really allows the teachers to roll up their sleeves and provide the the knowledge to really become an expert in that genre. And also, in addition to the strategies that you mentioned, like the TIDE acronym, um, one of the, I think, the powerful pieces that schools who start adopting programs like SRSD get is that self-regulation piece, because writing is hard for us. And, you know, when I'm writing a, a book chapter or, or doing something, I have strategies and self-regulation techniques that I'm doing for myself. Like mm -hmm. I'm talking myself through it. I'm encouraging myself. I'm telling myself that, you know, I can have a cup of coffee in a little while if I keep working. We all do these things. And what we do in SRSD is we make these strategies and techniques. And even the way we think about it, we make them visible for students so that students who struggle with writing know, you know, hey, it's it's challenging for my teacher too, but, you know, she has acquired these tools that she can like work her way through this. You know, we we have a planner that we can use. So um, that's one of the things I like about it the most, because I think a lot of people use graphic organizers and, and graphic organizers in itself are an evidence-based intervention for literacy. But, um, you know, comprehensive writing programs um, such as SRSD, you know, 
I think some of the added emphasis that they get and, and I, I think some of the, you know, the the extra things that might help with motivation and self-efficacy are that piece where we're just really teaching students to be intentional, monitor their learning. So I, I really like that. And, um, you know, that was kind of a, a long way of answering your questions of, you know, it's important to to use evidence-based strategies and um, really SRSD, we're, we're, we're happy to be working on, on that program for this project because, in response to the pandemic and school-related closures and gaps in learning, you know, one of the, the key focuses of this comp- competition through IES, where, where we have uh, funding for this one project, was really that you had to have, you had to come prepared with something that schools could have confidence in. And, and that's kind of why we, we took this coaching and professional development approach to SRSD. So, Allison, um, I could tell you that schools right now are jumping on this um, content area, um, knowledge-based curriculum. And so, you know, there's a lot out there, a lot of different names. I'm not going to name them, but you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I'd like to know how those compare to adopting this framework with social studies texts, as opposed to buying a you know a canned curriculum that is knowledge based. I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but you know from what I read mm-hmm. in the article, it doesn't sound like it's a curriculum. It sounds like it's a structure that could be applied to anything across any type of you know, area, content area, as opposed to getting a reading curriculum that's knowledge-based? So comparing the two, or I I don't know, I guess it's kind of hard to exactly say, okay, this one, you know, you have to work within, um, and schools have lots of options. I think the one that we work from, I do... I've done some work in reading research too and reading comprehension and the things that predict how students perform. And we do know that knowledge is a, is a very large piece of that. When you look at fancy statistical models and things, we, we know that knowledge is really important. And I think that we don't in our program or SRSD lessons and framework, we don't necessarily and I don't even say, I wouldn't even say to frame a program because you're right. It's more of a series of lessons and strategies that you can use with students um, that, that incorporate these multi-component pieces of SRSD. And I say it's beyond strategies because it's, I would say it's beyond strategies because we have goal setting, self-regulation. There's a lot of pieces to it. Um, with that said, I, I think for us, we don't... Ign- we don't come at it by ignoring that knowledge isn't a factor. We know that's very much a piece of the puzzle or the onion. You know, I always like to say when I'm working with my uh, undergraduate or graduate students, I teach the uh, assessment class and we always talk about there's many different layers to a student, right? And so we can't always focus on one piece because there's other pieces that also are playing a role in that student's development. So I think for us in that, we acknowledge that the knowledge piece is there, but we are using basically science, social studies, content area, text, 
as kind of a, a mechanism for pulling out the information that we can write from. So teaching students, you know, if I were to read something, how do I get that information out for my passage um, to make it into something coherent and and organized in my writing? So I think with that said, we, you know, build vocabulary knowledge as we're doing that. As we read the text, we talk about the text, we discuss what are those pieces that we need? How do we find those important ideas in the tide strategy? Um, so with that said, I think I think what you did touch on, though, that is a challenge is there are a lot of things available. And for schools, it's always hard because there are competing, you know, pro- I don't say competing programs, but there's a lot of choices out there. And we at the end of the day, we do have limited time. Right. So we have to pick something. We can't pick everything always. Um, So I think what Steve said is, is really what I think we are really hoping to do is to make these resources more available because we know there is an evidence base. We know that we've got some strong evidence that SRSD works for a number of years. I think with that so often, though, the schools don't even know about it. I mean, I didn't. That's how I came about to where I am today is. Somebody said, we look, you might want to look at Steve Graham's work. And, and I found SRSD. When I was searching as a, as a reading intervention specialist, I was searching for, I need some writing tools. I have all these reading tools. Where are the writing ones for my students? Mm-hmm. Um, I think with that too, though, and now I'll probably uh, thinking that too, is getting it out to the schools. But also what I think I've seen is once a teacher sometimes we just say, you know, give it a few weeks. Just just try it, right? Even sometimes for the schools. Let's just see how the, this goes. So often what we see, at least in our professional development training, is once the teachers get into it and the students start making progress and they start to see that progress, then the enthusiasm's there, right? Then then this, this I guess, conflict of which one do I pick kind of bypasses uh, because they see the progress. So then they've kind of bought into the the lessons. And so I think to me, um, some of it, we just try to work with the schools of looking at schedules and teachers and saying, okay, let's look at your day. If you've got 30 minutes, let's, let's figure out what we can do with that 30 minutes, you know, and then some other teachers after they start teaching, then they give us 45 minutes or an hour, you know, and they figure out how to work that time in. Um, But I think for us too, some of it is just coming at it too, and knowing that there are these complicated pieces um, that time is precious in schools. And so just trying to work with the schools on where they're at and also trying not to say, okay, you can't do that other program two, let's figure out how we can fit this one in with what you're already doing and where that time comes from. So, you know, as I'm listening to this, I'm going back to Judy's question about having, you know, a program picked for the school. The teachers aren't picking it. You know, they're, they're given a program. And in New York City, the principals and you know, made choices and not three options, three options. And the programs obviously um, have all these components. It's a core program. So, you know, I guess I'm trying to think how would you sell 
this to schools. And I, when I say sell, I mean the idea, selling the idea that this is really important and can boost the writing across different content areas when the day is limited in time and funds are limited and the teachers are just there trying to figure this all out. I mean, um, you know, I guess I'm I'm left wondering how this would all go. And do is there research or research that says that some of these other things aren't effective? You know, because obviously you're saying you have a lot of research here for um, SRSD, but if they're using some other things that they're saying are SOR, science of reading, is that proven or is it just rhetoric? Is it just like people are saying it is, but there really doesn't, you know, there's not enough science behind it? That's what I'm wondering. Like, for instance, Judy, like what um, if, if your principal now is trying to make sure that this core program gets rolled out, right? Making well, sure. Right, but that's what the superintendent sets out to strip, right? Of right. course. And, I mean, does it have a writing component in it? Does it have a framework for writing already built in? Yes. So why would they want to add in something else? I guess, and again, I'm not, I'm trying to just question this. If I'm a school, well, I, I don't think most principals would probably want to do that right away. Right now that they're rolling, it's year one for a lot of schools. My school's a phase two school, but many schools are in phase one of rolling out evidence-based curriculum. I think they're going to want to see what kind of results and what happens with the curriculum that's followed with quote unquote fidelity, the famous F word in education. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of things that F word. I think that's an important piece. And um, I think what's really going to happen, though, is maybe principals won't see the exact results that they want. And that's when the questioning starts. Is it teacher practice? Is it the program? Do we and need some science of reading? <laughs> but, then, but, then, but then, you know, like, for instance, Yes, I love the writing revolution. I was trained in it. I don't know if there's evidence, not evidence. Faith and I go back and forth, whatever. But okay, so I know a method. So I try to sprinkle it here and sprinkle it there. It's not very easy to take, like, what happens with SSRD? Do you say, okay, I'm an HMH school with SSRD, or I'm a wit and wisdom school and we do SSRD? How does that, like, work? And then I have like 30 other questions. So Faith, at the end of the show, please, I have a couple of really important questions. Okay, so I guess uh, we just threw out a whole lot to you. So right, so is there over. research, like, are you guys working specifically with schools that have certain curriculums? And are you seeing different results if it's an HMH school versus a mm. teacher's college school? Oh, yes, I said it, a Lucy school right. versus a... Uh, Wit and Wisdom School or an Expeditionary Learning School or a Core Knowledge School or a No Curriculum School. Right. I mean, there's so much out there. So yeah. we'd love to hear that. I see what you're asking. And it sounds like the context you're coming from um, in New York, there there are things that 
you know, are sort of, I'm guessing, that are mandated that schools are picking. A lot from. of states are moving in that direction. And I live in Connecticut. It's going in that direction now, too. Mm-hmm. In um in the schools we work with, part of the reason that, that we're doing SRSD and Tide is, is through the teachers we observed and the teachers we interviewed, a lot of them actually didn't really have a program like that. You know, they they had their science curriculum, their social studies curriculum, and something, you know, typically adopted for reading. You know, schools have really gotten better about, you know, fortunately, science of reading initiatives. But um, yeah, that we we don't have, we can't really make those comparisons for what we're doing to some of these other writing programs, maybe you're mentioning, because um, you know, we'll find out more as we observe the typical practice conditions. But during our typical practice observations on our other studies, and some of these are going to be published very soon, um, the teachers were, you know, not necessarily following any type of adopted writing intervention program or adopted writing curriculum. And, and it was kind of cool. Like a couple of weeks ago, the teachers we were talking to were just thrilled that we were there providing this professional development in something like SRSD. And it's not like SRSD is the only answer, but they were fortunate because they they were expressing to us that they just really didn't have an intervention or a writing framework before. So um, I do think it would be really confusing as a teacher if there was already a few in place and then you know, I showed up and I was trying to get you to do something different. That that might be really confusing for teachers. Um, I, I when I meet with districts, I encourage them to to look at programs that do have evidence behind them. Um, we've been really heavily involved in this, so I, I can't speak for all the other programs. I I just I wouldn't be <laughs> I wouldn't be honest if I if I said I knew um, what the evidence behind all of them. But I do. I'm really comfortable with the evidence behind SRSD, and um, I do know that a lot of the schools we're working with. They're not having that problem in our experience of having to juggle all these different things because they really just didn't have um, a, a core set of, of intervention frameworks to go on. So, um, you know, I think in our experience, we were, and Allison, I don't know if you know, have anything added to that, but we're fortunate that one of the, you know, we can't say their names, but one of the large districts we're working with now that does have a lot of high needs um, It's just really fortunate to have this partnership where we're providing PD and we're providing ongoing coaching because a, a lot of the teachers, just to kind of go back to our conversation earlier, a lot of the teachers were just expressing, you know, their frustrations with maybe not having a lot of college courses or PD previously on how to teach writing. So for some of the teachers we're working with, um, you know, this, in some ways, this might be their, you know, their more most formal training to date. Allison? Yeah, so if you could add to what Steve just said, yeah. So there's a couple of things I'll extend on what Steve said. I think I think there are a few schools in the current project that are using bigger curriculums. We've got a number of different districts we work with, so we've kind of got a range. And we will have in the new project some comparison conditions where we can compare what typical practice looks like and how they are doing, how they perform on the state test, how they perform on our assessments, how they norm referenced assessments, how how different those classes do and those students do depending on which group in which classroom they're in. So I do think there will be some possibilities to explore how some of those compare, but maybe on a smaller scale though, because it's a handful of classrooms and a handful of, of uh, in each group. Uh, but what I would add thinking along those lines is I think sometimes the question too is 
not always is something effective or not effective. Um, to me, sometimes I ask myself, how, what's the magnitude of something being effective? So rather than we might have two interventions that work very, that both work, but one may give you more bang for your buck, right? One may, you may see larger gains in students faster. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's that element too sometimes is I think sometimes we forget that maybe sometimes there's a lot of things that work. Mm -hmm. um, it just depends on to what extent, uh, you know, how, how large those gains might be in students and also for who they work for, right? Certain students and different characteristics, certain, certain programs may be more well-suited for them, right? Um, but I think the other element too that we forget about is there's so much of the implementer, the teacher that makes something work. And so some of the things I think oftentimes that we're interested in too, in some of our more recent work is to think about what are the factors, what's happening in a classroom or with students and teachers that make something more or less effective. So again, we saw, you know, we see results in this classroom and across, you know, at a different school, you know, a few blocks over, we're not seeing the same results. Why is that? Um, and I think there's a lot of, I think, you know, as we all know, education is complicated. And so sometimes I think that's something we forget. We just want to say, yes, this worked. No, this doesn't. But I don't think it's that simple, I guess. No, it's not simple. That's why we have you on. <laughs> because it's not simple at all. And, um, you know, there's a lot out there. And we really want to know, as you said, which provides the biggest gains? Like looking at this, we want to know what exactly provides the most gains and helps the most children. And in reading your studies, the one thing that stood out to me was this idea of the PBPD, the practice based professional development, along with biweekly coaching. And that to me, I mean, Judy and I are both coaches. I'm a consultant and have done a lot of coaching. I was part of reading first. And so I've been coaching in um, lots of different types of schools um, with, you know, a diverse group of kids. And I know that coaching makes the difference and the embedded, the embedded coaching and the opportunity to practice whatever is taught in professional development, not just doing it and leaving teachers on their own to figure it out. So I'm looking at that piece as to me a tipping point, but that could really be important with any writing framework that you bring in. To me, that's the key to just about anything that you do, you know. Um, so, Judy, any thoughts that I didn't cover? You said you wanted to ask some questions. So, All right, can I just read off my little notes quickly? Okay, how is SSRD going for not like kids that are really just non-readers yet. Um, are you seeing good results for the kids that 
can't read in the classes because there's a lot of kids right now that we're seeing, you know, nationwide that are struggling with reading and decoding. So I would bet that, you know, writing is really, really hard for those kids. What kind of results are you seeing for your non-reader, your non-readers? And it, what does it look like? Does it go beyond just seeing like kids drawing pictures and how does SSRD um look upon pictures is there labeling do you start with just pictures and so forth that's the first one is it my turn well sure well in the grade levels we're working with now I, I there there probably are some students we don't have um results yet to know uh I, I think at the end of this year we'll probably know better of how some of those students who are at um, a very foundational level of reading are doing. Um, I, I will say one of the things that you see through SRSD, um, and we were able to see this last year and, and on some of the previous studies that you were talking about, is um, because students are, are learning how to think about writing, um, there, there is a place for, for pictures. Like, you know, if, if they're having a graphic organizer or a planning device, um, if a picture would help a student to think about keywords and what they might want to write a sentence about, even if it's at a basic level, um, we encourage that. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, SRSD was, was kind of my understanding of the history of is, is it was more for, um, for written responses. I will say now we're, Elson and I are not doing this in our study. There's some research going on. Um, I think Karen Harris is doing it, so she may want to talk to you about it, but it's, it's called SRSD plus where they're, um, lowering it. So they're still SRSD, but they're, when I say lowering it, they're reducing it to lower grade levels and they're working on more, um, sentence construction, sentence nice. level skills, and I believe grammar too. So we're not doing SRSD plus in, in our study because what we're doing is really just focusing on equipping them with the strategies they need to, to integrate these things. Um, so, so we're not really, uh, you know, we're, you know, I'm not, not to say we're not working with non-readers, but, um, you know, our, our focus, a lot of the students that we have in our study are kind of writing at a sentence level or two. And what we're trying to do is get those students to write more, um, but not just not just write more, but write with better quality, write with better ideas. And if they're writing about information that they've learned about, you know, carefully designed information through their science or social studies curriculum, you know, just writing about something that they know about and that's meaningful to them. So um, these strategies can help, um, whether it's, you know, a student who's just writing a sentence or two or someone who's writing, you know, a lot, but maybe just needs help with organization. All right. That's a good one. Next one. Personally, no, before, I think Allison wanted to say. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, I have a very quick add to what Steve was saying. Um, I will say that some of our preliminary results from last year on this new project that's similar to the article that we were talking about with the practice-based professional development, but this one's the one with general and special education teachers working together. We did see that in our classrooms where they were implementing SRSD, you know, as Steve mentioned, Texas just shifted last year to this integrated reading writing started, starting in third grade. So their state assessment 
was a drastic change for teachers last year, um, where traditionally fourth grade had been kind of the writing grade where we assessed it. Now it's integrated reading, writing, where they have to, students have to construct a, a written response to, to a passage or two passages even. And I will say what I was going to add is what we have seen is that even some of our students that have more difficulty with writing, we had fewer students scoring a zero in those classrooms. So even if they weren't scoring, you know, an eight, a 10 on the on the scale, we had fewer students on that floor, right? Um, and I think that that was really uh, exciting so far to see that we, we can bump them up, that we're making progress beyond. Judy, you had another question? Yeah, a little bit. I'm going to go fast. Personal narratives. I see them all over the place for years and years and years. Um, and now I'm seeing them again. Uh, do you guys do a lot? Is there a lot of research to support that that's a very important piece of um, writing for young kids? And why do I see it all the time everywhere? Judy, when you see it, is it across different grade levels? The the, the Yes. Person? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we, you know, I think in our experience, um, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, because there's been uh, really an emphasis in the state of Texas on um, writing to inform and using source-based texts to write. Um, right. I don't want to say that narrative uh, doesn't exist, but a lot of the work that that we've done in our observations and in, in the observation study that we mentioned earlier, um, I think I don't know. We, we'd have to parse out the data, but I think a lot of it has been expository. Um, That's what I would think. That's why I was like thinking I'm going to see that right away. And nope, back to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is there research behind into narrative writing? I think there are strategies and interventions that can boost narrative writing. Um, I'm not quite sure about, you know, if, if there's research to say at, at what age or what grade level, um, quality narrative writing should be emphasized though. Are, are you aware of that, Allison? I was thinking about that, not off the top of my head. I mean, I think there's an element, it's a balance, right? I think there's a piece that the more we teach students to write regardless of the genre and the more explicit we are in that teaching and the more we support them and, and provide that space to be successful in writing, I think it's all beneficial, right? Um, because I thinking, you. you know, when you practice something more frequently, you're likely in with good practice, you're likely to to get better at it, right? Because you have more opportunities and all of those pieces. So I think that's important. I think the nice thing about SRSD is that there are different, like we talk about the tide strategy, but there's within the SRSD framework and the multi-component intervention, you can teach narrative writing, you can teach persuasive writing, you can teach all these other pieces, there's a revising strategy. Um, so you don't have to necessarily you can repeat the oh. framework with different, different I strategies. Have a major question, Allison, can I jump in? And it just yes. came out not on my notes. What about the whole writing process, like the general old fashioned way, or the way that I still see it very often? The today you're drafting day, today you're revising day, now you're editing, and now you're publishing. And I know a lot of kids hate publishing. Some kids love it. The ones that can write well love it. 
and the ones that don't like to write. And now they're having to look at their draft and take it and transfer it on a nice piece of paper. So does SSRD have the whole writing process looking that way? And is there research to support the way it's being done in a lot of these other programs? Steve, do you want to talk about it or do you want me to talk about the writing process approach? You can start. <laughs> um, I'll, th I'll think about a couple different elements. So some of our teachers actually do that. Um, I, I think some of them, I'll have to think about publishing. You know, I think displaying work outside the hallway and things like that, um, we see them do. I think we have been working with schools that have done it in somewhat this writing process where they plan one day, they write the next, um, they revisit it. I do think what is, I think that revising editing process is really important. That's how we grow as writers. That's how we learn to think critically about how we write and how we can be, you know, grow as writers. I think we were talking about something the other day that we were writing, thinking about peer conversation so engaging in that writing process and and that we're all at different stages but you know let's give each other feedback and let I think all of that is is very important and can be embedded in SRSD um I think again sometimes it's how it's presented and how it's it's implemented I think one thing too um is understanding that uh, sometimes the writing process, it doesn't have to be so rigid either, right? Because I don't always write or plan, draft, revise, publish. I, you know, plan, I draft, I plan some more, I draft a little bit or I revise a little bit. So, so I think there's yep. that. Sometimes I think we think of it as a linear piece and when really it's not. And so sometimes I think that's maybe just the biggest thing to keep in mind is that process is important, but sometimes it's how we frame it and how we approach it and how we teach kids uh, that's also just as important. So I want to jump in. <clears throat> you know, one thing that I noticed in the article um, was that there were six stages that were mentioned here. The first two being developing background knowledge and discussing it. And to me, that's so important because you can't write unless everybody kind of has a starting place with some common knowledge, right? Some um, background knowledge. You can get that from your social studies curriculum and your social studies text, or you can have a reading program that builds in the knowledge component um, to start. And does it matter as long as we are making sure we're developing background knowledge? Your thoughts about that? Well, yeah, I should clarify for SRSD. Um, because these are genre-based approaches, when, when you look at those, you know, uh, of course, that the, the background knowledge about what they're going to write is critical. That, that piece is critical. When SRSD refers to developing, you know, background knowledge, a lot of what they're talking about in this particular program is developing knowledge about the genre. So if you're going to write about, 
you know, argumentative writing or persuasive writing, if that's the focus of, of your next few months. A lot of it is building students' understanding of why you would want to use that type of writing. So what are, what are times in, in school and in life where, where you may want to, you know, craft a, a very well thought out argumentative piece, you know, you know, pulling from sources, writing claims and counterclaims. So, um, you know, n- not to, um, yeah, get too too deep into it, but a lot of what SRSD does um, and, and what you're probably referring to in that article is when it's building prior knowledge and background knowledge, it's really, um, a lot of it is genre knowledge, you know, because each of these genres has its own place. And we really want students not just to understand what to do, but why they're doing it. So what are some circumstances in school or in life where they would want to engage in these different types of writing? Um, and, And we've seen some teachers make really good connections to it too. I mean, persuasion is always very interesting for kids to talk about. Um, it could be trying to convince a peer or a parent to do something. Um, or, you know, we've had kids, uh, you know, we, I was observing a middle school class a couple of years ago and they were saying, well, when I'm older, I'm going to be like my brother and I'm going to start, you know, debating politics online and I want to know how to craft a good argument. So I, I think there's a lot of it is, um, you know, building that deep understanding and appreciation for why these different types of writing each have a very important role. Hmm. Judy, you have any other questions? No, or- I'm going to behave. The only th- I I do want to say though, we had the word strategy, Faith. Remember, there was a whole thing between strategy and knowledge building. So I'm happy to hear affirmation that strategy work is very important, and that makes total sense. Of course, the knowledge is important, but you know, I like that the research is supporting that strategy component, and and I can't wait to learn more about these strategies. And I'm hoping that, you know, these kind of great things can come more into the classroom. You know, I my gut feeling is I don't think that, you know, a lot of these programs that have been adopted are going away. But I hope that with time, you know, folks like you guys can help bring this into school so that we can have better writing instruction. Because right now, I think schools do need support with writing. And I think kids need support with writing. Um and I still haven't figured out why writing used to look better before than it does now, but I'm going to think about that another day. Well, well, one thing just to, you know, as we close down too that, that Faith mentioned earlier that I think is so important of regardless of what program it is, you said it, you can't have one professional development session and expect people to adopt. So practice-based approaches where, you know, we get to model for teachers, regardless of what strategy it is or what curriculum it is. Um, and then the teachers get to practice it for us. And then with that ongoing coaching, um, that's really important. A lot of us, you know, you could you could both relate to this. We've all attended professional developments where maybe we went for a day or two and the ideas were very motivating. Yeah. And the, the you know, techniques that they taught us were probably things that yeah. we would really like to adopt, but, but without that follow through. So whatever programs people are using, even some of these other programs that, that you're alluding to that we might not even be familiar with, um, you know, we would just hope that there is a lot of wraparound professional development, a lot of coaching to go along with that, just so that teachers feel confident and, and their capacity continues to be built. Stephen, how come we don't see more people like you in the buildings? How do we get people like the researchers <laughs> really like, you know, to, to bridge yeah. that? Gap? I, I like, think Judy read my mind because as I'm listening to both of you, Clearly, you are both roll up your sleeves, hands on, 
you don't really see that in the research world. And that's part of why there is this void, I think. Um, And it's not translating research to practice because you don't see enough people in your roles actually in the schools. And my last thought that I just want to get across is, um, it's actually a question. Have you put SRSD in a school without that support, without the professional, um, uh, how was how it said here, practice-based, I want to make sure I'm saying it right, practice-based professional development and bi-weekly coaching? Like, have you looked at it where you just put this mm-hmm. in without the coaching and without the practice-based piece? And um, did you compare that? Just curious. And that's my last question. I have not. I'm curious what you're going to say, because maybe maybe you've done studies before you came to Texas State that I wasn't aware of. (laughs) Well, I think what I was going to say is a stay tuned. Um, This new project we keep talking about, we're layering. So we're doing practice-based professional development with general and special education teachers. And then we are also, this year, we're adding a new group. And that group is working through a program called SRSD Online. It's similar to the um, Think SRSD that Leslie Lau does. And and that group of teachers is actually working through modules online. So different than a professional development program where they come and kind of a traditional, I'm going to sit and I'm going to practice the lessons for a day, and then I'll go back and teach it. Um, That group is actually working through more of a self-paced learning. And so with that said, both groups are still getting coaching. I think that's that support is really important, as we all said. But I think there's opportunities in the future, too, to explore, like, you know, when we pull back on things, I think we always, I always think about like, what is the magic ingredient that makes something work, right? And so we're not far enough along to say it works with or without coaching, at least in our work. But with that said, I think there's going to be opportunities that we are exploring how, how can we make this to me, I'm always like, how can we make this reach wider and still get this to the teachers um, and still be that support system for them. So I think it's a more of a stay tuned over the next few years. We are looking at some different questions around that. All exciting. So any yeah. last thoughts that Judy and I did not cover? Um, with, this is just, um, you know, last thoughts. Either one of you, we would love to hear anything we didn't cover. Well, you want to just get across that maybe we didn't yet. One thing I'll I'll add that could be a sneak preview of a conversation all of us could have in six to nine months is I know on your show, you've had several really good guests on talking about meta analysis in the past, and we don't want to get, you know, too much into, into the statistical side of it. But one of the things that we're hoping we can sit down and, and talk with a lot of people about Um, maybe at this time next year, is we're doing a very comprehensive meta-analysis of kindergarten through fifth grade writing, where we are looking at, you know, what interventions work, for for whom do they work, and on what outcomes. And and that is going to maybe hopefully answer some of the questions that you had earlier about, you know, 
what types of programs work, which ones don't, you know, because through that meta analysis, you know, we'll be able to look at a lot of different levels. We'll be able to break down subcomponents. We can look at which programs or which type of interventions might be best for spelling, what types might be best for handwriting, for planning, you name it. So, so cool. yeah, we're going to, we have to have them on with Nate. We can so, have a party with Nate Joseph. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, no, in, 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 got to keep it quiet. Faith, Faith, the copycats are going to try to steal our ideas. <laughs> You're with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that that we want to talk to you you both about too, and, and even some of the people that that you work with and that listen is, you know, eventually when we get to that point where we're disseminating, you know, meta analyses, like we both think that researchers need to do a better job of translating these findings to practice, and w- we think we have some good ideas about how to do it but they're probably not the best. So it would be great to crowdsource some of these ideas with you, talk to teachers and, and just find out like, you know, we're, we're not expecting teachers to sit down and read meta-analyses. And even if they did, it might not be that meaningful to them. So what can we all do as researchers or people in higher education to really translate these findings in a way that policymakers, school districts, teachers and parents can really digest them and think, okay, like, this is what we know. This is what the research tells us. This is what it doesn't tell us. You know, here's a path forward. So um, I think I'll be reaching out to both of you over the, the next year as this gets closer to talk about this, too. And if you want some other guests that that can talk about research to practice. Don't or say it. In we'll talk privately. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we, we can message them to you. But but thank you for letting us say that. Get, We're, everyone's going to get a DM and Allison, they're going to get other DMs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for this opportunity to just, we're just thrilled that you gave us the opportunity to talk about writing because, you know, as we started out this segment with, it's just something that, you know, we, we both feel very passionate about. And, um, I'm confident that if we give teachers the tools and the strategies and the resources, we can definitely move the needle. I, I, I know that's true. And we're so excited and so happy that you came on the show. Allison, any last thoughts? No, I don't know. But I feel like we've covered just about everything, but I do appreciate y'all acknowledging our enthusiasm around supporting teachers and schools, because I think that is really our passion and what we the research is interesting, but we really want to be supporting teachers and students. So thanks for acknowledging that. And it comes through. It really comes through. You are both fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, we look forward to having you on in the spring or whenever. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks um, our audience for listening. We are going to have Karen Harris on, and she is a key researcher, um, and she is, I think, the person, along with Steve Graham, who um, they're responsible for SRSD. So we're going to get it right from the horse's mouth, right? And so we're really excited to have Karen Harris on. So I hope people will follow us with this writing series, because we know that that's what you want. Judy and I did a survey and that's what you told us and that's what we're doing. So thank you so much for joining us, Judy. You want to tell people how they can get in touch with us? Yes. So follow us on the new 
beautifully designed Instagram literacy view. You could also follow Faith on Instagram if you want to follow her personal Instagram and her business Instagram. Her business one is High Five Literacy. Mine is Boxner Damsky. Follow us on Twitter at Boxner Judy. Follow Faith on Twitter at Faith Burkowski. Follow both of us and join our group, The Literacy View, Real Teachers Letting Loose. Also, we have a YouTube channel that you could subscribe to, and you could find us all over Apple, Spotify. You know where to find us. Great. All Thank right. you, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Thank you.